Good morning. Nice to see all of you. Did anybody get woken up by like six emergency alerts on their phones going off last night? Man, so I hope you had as good of a night's sleep as I did. That's awesome. But it's nice to have all of you here. It's nice to have a rainy morning this morning. Today, we begin a new series, as Glenn mentioned, called Living Questions. Because in life, there's these really big questions that each of us, as we move through different stages of our lives, find ourselves asking. Some of these we ask kind of during one stage. Some of them we find ourselves asking again and again as life hits us in different ways. And they're really, really big questions. And most of the time when there's a question like that in our lives, we want to know the answer, right? Because this is our life. We want to answer it correctly because we want to have a good life. And yet, not every question just comes with a quick answer. Some questions have to be journeyed through. They have to be lived in order to become more and more real inside of us and more and more real in our lives around us. And this is part of what God does with us. He, he uses these questions to continue to shape us into the people that ultimately he created us to be because they help make a life. They are living questions. And today, today, the question that we're going to ask ourselves is, is twofold. It's all kind of one thing, but I've couched it in two different questions, and here it is up on the screen. Who am I and who will I become? Who am I and who will I become? If you're sitting in here and you're like, look, I've walked on this earth quite a while. I have a pretty good understanding of who I am. Good. I hope that over the course of this series that, and over the course of today that you come to resonate and identify with people who are still asking that, that you remember part of your own life in the moments that you have asked those things, and that it encourages empathy and love, for we are the body of Christ, every generation gathered, that we might love one another. And I promise you, at some point in this series, you will find a question that is yours right here, right now, that's very powerful. Today, who am I and who will I become? You know, we start asking this question around age 16 or 17 in our current culture. I don't know if it's always been that way. It seems like it is now. And it's because it's somewhere around junior year of high school that students start getting asked by all of us, all of us like, you know, well-to-do adults walk up to them and go, so what do you want to be when you grow up, right? What college are you going to go to? Do you know what you want to study? What is it that you want to do with your life? And we, because we care about them and we love them, what we're really saying when we ask this question is, uh, you know, I'm, is we're trying to say, I'm interested in you, and so I'm asking questions about you. Like, you know, that's what we're saying. But often to a 16 or 17-year-old person who for the very first time is having to embrace these questions, what they are hearing us ask is, who are you and who will you become? And they nod their heads and they answer politely, but inside they're kind of thinking to themselves, I'm only 17 years old. How am I supposed to know who I am and who I'm supposed to become? Like, have you seen me? It's daunting. That's not the last time we ask that question. Many people often go to college. They find themselves getting out of college, and then you have to face the same thing again, except now in your 20s. And as you finish college, people come up to you, and what do they ask? So what are you going to do now that you're done? What what job are you going to have? What career are you going to do? What kind of life are you going to create? How much money will that pay? Is that what you really want? What what are you going to do with that? And what they hear is, do you really know who you are? And are you really sure that's who you want to become? It's this kind of daunting thing. Although it doesn't end there, because you'd think that with kind of the educational stage, that maybe that ends. But I was just talking to a person in the 30s this last week who said this phrase to me, you know what, I, I have my kids, I'm a mother. And there's a part of me, though, that just like without them, I don't know who I am. And then she said this, I'm so terrified of when that stage hits, when they finally leave the house, because who will I be then? Who am I and who will I become. I talked to another gentleman who's in his 50s who's in the midst of a divorce right now. 
And he said, you know, I've been living life for so long and now it's just like all completely turned upside down and it's like I have to start over and I find myself wondering, who am I now? And what does this mean? Who am I and who will I become? These are really, really powerful questions that each of us face in our lives. Some of you have asked them. Some of you are asking them. And the reality is God cares how we answer them. There's two ways that we can go about this. We can just try to answer them as life hits us and kind of on our own, or we can do this with God. We can try to answer them in such a way where it's like, well, I'm just going to kind of dial in and figure this out, or I'm just going to put my head down and figure this out, or we can realize that God created us, that he has shaped us, molded us, built the earth around us in such a way that he actually cares about these questions because he cares about how we answer these questions because, well, he created us to be the people we are and the people that we will be. And so this is the point of this series, and this is what we seek to do even over the course of this morning. Right now, I want you to hear from a gentleman named Taylor. And Taylor, I love the way he's, we're going to hear it in a video. I love what he articulates because over the course of each week of this series, what you're going to see is that the videos that we play, it's not somebody that's looking back going, and here's exactly how I've answered those questions. You're going to see somebody who's in the midst of living those questions right now. So there's not resolve. There's an honesty to this. And so I I commend Taylor because he was willing to be vulnerable and and give us an insight and a window into someone who's really, truly trying to live these questions. And so I want you to see uh, what he has to say. My name's Taylor Davis, and I'm 21. And I'm currently working in ministry doing tech and building up volunteers and pursuing lighting design. So I finished high school and I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, So I ended up going on tour with a band for for a year and I took off a year of school just to like figure out my life. And I had so many questions like, where am I gonna go? What am I gonna do? Like, what does this life have? Am I going to be a rock star or am I not going to be a rock star? So then I would play countless nights in bars. Since I was 17, I wasn't allowed to stay in the bar with the rest of my bandmates. So I would usually find myself walking around the streets outside and just hanging out. And there was this one homeless guy in a wheelchair that was sitting outside the gate listening to the music. and. He was really interested in it, and he kind of just sat there and talked to me about his life and, like, what he's been through and how he got to this point. I started to realize that this isn't what I want to be doing. I was just playing shows after shows, and I just decided, like, this isn't who I am. This isn't what I want to do. I had also been in a serious relationship for a long time. And if I I do start this band and touring thing, what is my family values? That kind of ultimately changed my decision to really start focusing on a career path and really decided to like venture into school. I wanted to say that I had my life together and I wanted to say that, oh yeah, I'm going to do this grand degree and I'm gonna make tons of money and have a great family life and just be very successful. I didn't know where I was going. (laughs) Didn't really know what to do or to think. And then the fear sinks in 
because I have to choose what to do, and it might not be the right one. And how do I go about getting there is also a big fear. How do I get there to this end point that I envision? I am definitely scared of failing. That's like the number one fear of just in me. It's, I'm going to fail and lose everything. Constantly that goes through my head that I'm not good enough. It's always there. I always am doubting myself. And if you're not the best at what you're doing, then you're a failure and nobody cares about you. A lot of people try to figure out life by themselves, and um, I definitely tried that for a while, and it got me nowhere. It made it more stressful. It made it more daunting. It seemed like a harder task because you're doing it by yourself, and there's no support anywhere. And God has always been there for me uh, when I was when I was like facing life by myself. I always knew that I could just pray to him and know that somebody's there, at least working through things with me, even though I didn't believe that God really cared much about me or didn't, didn't think that I was good because everybody is always expecting so much out of you, so then you automatically assume that God's expecting so much out of you. So if those people don't, if the people here don't approve of you, why would God approve of you? Feel the tension in the video of him trying to sort this stuff out in his own life? There's all kinds of people in our congregation, people around you. I promise you people that you love in your life, if it's not you here today, that's trying to ask those same questions, figure those same things out. I bet you if you're from an older generation, even me, like, I find myself watching that and I want to, like, sit him down and tell him some things. Right? Don't, we want to answer that question for him because you've walked that path, you've done this, and yet, these are living questions. It's not the thing that you can just sit down and answer for somebody else. Taylor is in the midst of living out those questions as he comes to find those answers, but we can be with, and that's part of the series. God wants to be with us in those things, and God cares how we answer them, and that's the beauty of it. I have confidence in Taylor. He's a really good guy. And with great courage, he's talking to people and making his way forward as he seeks to ask these questions, who am I and who will I become? As we journey through this today, I want to point out a couple of things. Because again, I, I believe God cares about how we answer these questions. And I believe he has something to say about it because he's created us. He's made us. And so I want to do this. I'll give you some structure. Here's where the morning's going. I'm going to point out one myth that when we try to answer these questions without God, we fall into believing this one myth and we kind of live out of it. I want to offer one truth that when we answer these questions with God, we can kind of hold with us and empower us to answer them. And I want to offer one thing to do. Uh, if you are a person who's in the midst of this room who's asking the questions, who am I and who will I become? And you're trying to figure out what that means right now, one thing to do with that too. But as we dive into scripture this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to look at a guy that had a ton of expectations placed on him, a ton of opportunity. Life could have looked a thousand different ways and he would have known exactly what it was like to ask those questions, who am I and who will I become? 
1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to read verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, by the way, was a prophet of the nation of Israel, well-respected, and so this is who he's speaking to. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So, I want to pause there because we need a little context for what's going to be happening today. So there's a prophet named Samuel, and he's directed to go to the house of a man named Jesse because he's to anoint a future king. He's to ultimately say, this is going to be the future king of Israel. But at that point in time, Israel already had a king, and his name was Saul. Saul was the people's king, so to speak. The people all kind of heralded him, elected him. It was in 1 Samuel, I believe, chapter 9 uh, that, that we read and hear about who Saul really uh, was. 1 Samuel 9 tells us that Saul was the tallest man in Israel, tallest guy in all of Israel. So when he walked by, people noticed. Saul was handsome. Saul was well-to-do. He was capable. He had things going for him. This was Saul, and the, the people say, I, that's who we want for our king, and God says, okay, you can have, he's going to be your king. And, and that was 1 Samuel chapter 9, but now we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And the honest truth is being a king isn't going so well for Saul at this particular moment in time. Because at some point in time, Saul began to be more concerned with pleasing the people and ultimately being a king than with leading the people towards the heart of God and living out of who he was in this. And so things start to go awry. God goes to Samuel the prophet and he says, okay, This isn't working out. We're going to anoint a future king. There's going to be another person who comes after Saul. There's a passage where it says, and this king, this future king will be a man after my own heart. There's all this expectation that can go into this. And now, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we find that this is actually going to happen. He's going to go to the house of a man named Jesse, and he's going to meet with them. And Jesse uh, had a bunch of sons, and so Samuel goes to the house, and all the sons are told to come out, and Samuel lines up. You know, they all kind of stand in front of him, or at least that's how I picture this in my head, that it's kind of like this waiting line. And Samuel is supposed to basically look at each of the sons, and God is going to identify who is the next king. God's going to identify the person who is going to be the next king over the nation of Israel. This is a very big moment. I want you to imagine if this were happening to you. It's a huge moment. I want to read, uh, starting at verse 6, Samuel's looking at the sons of Jesse as they're gathered before him to be the next king. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Remember, all the people had gathered and said, we choose Saul. Why? Saul's the tallest guy in all of Israel. Saul has things going for him. Saul can do amazing things. We want Saul. Samuel's now standing in front of Jesse's sons, and Eliab stands there before him, and he's handsome and tall. He's impressive. This is the guy. And God says, no, he's not. And then makes this statement We look at the perspective whereby we see the external. What someone looks like and what someone is capable of, what someone can do, what they do. And what does God see? He says, no, I take a different perspective. I look upon the heart. I see who a person is. That's who we're going to choose. Not based on what they can do or what they do or how they look, but who they are. And he keeps looking And then we're going to read verse 10. We'll pick it back up. 10 through 11, it says this, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Seven sons go before Samuel, and Samuel looks each of them over. And the Lord said 
Uh, and, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Remember, we want to focus on the external. We want to focus on all these other things. I think that's one of the hardest things, by the way, about living the questions is this question of who I am and who I will become is the expectations that come with those questions, is it not? One of the hardest things. Sometimes they're positive expectations about all the things that a person can do, all the things that someone's really capable of. Sometimes we look at our kids and we say, you know what, you can succeed at anything you set your mind to. And then our kids suddenly have the expectations that anything they set their mind to, they should succeed at. What if I fail? That's a daunting expectation, right? To, to suddenly have upon you. I think of what Taylor said, if you aren't the best at something, then you're failing. It's a really powerful statement from his perspective that he said. See, this is kind of how he was seeing things. If in living the questions, you don't live up to the expectations of others, or even worse, the expectation you've come to put on yourself, well, then who are you? Who are you then? Are you a failure? Are you broken? Are you suddenly lost? Are you wasting time? Who are you? You know, other times the expectations that people have upon us aren't positive, are they? You don't have enough experience. You're not the kind of person that does that. No one in our family has ever, right, these types of things. No, no, you, I mean, come on, set your eyes on the ground. You could never do. Sometimes they're negative. I think of David. David wasn't even invited to the lineup. That is a crazy moment. I, I really think it is. If a prophet of God says, Jesse, I'm coming to your house. All of your sons need to line up because from your sons, God is going to choose the next future king. And you are the only brother who's not even thought of to be a part of the lineup. Like that is a pretty daunting moment. This is David. When they looked at David, what did they see? The youngest shepherd boy. There's no way. Right? Because man looks at the external. Man looks at how a person looks and what a person can do. He's just a shepherd. And let's be really honest, David, you spend all your time out with the sheep. You smell like sheep. You don't always keep cleanliness codes. And really, society kind of looks down on shepherds. And the fact of the matter is, you're just the run of the family making sure that the things we care about don't die. Like, why would you be king? <laughs> they don't even invite him to the lineup. Those are negative expectations of who he will be and who he will become. Right? From that perspective, being a shepherd is who David is. He's not a king. He's not the kind of guy that becomes a king. That's not who he is from that perspective. And that's how the world thinks, isn't it? It's kind of how we, we come to think. It, it's this complicated deal. We, we often find ourselves thinking that, you know what, because of what that person does, that there'll never be anything else. And we base it on this. And, and that leads us, uh, friends, to the myth. I don't know if I said it clearly yet or not, uh, but I want to say it really quick this morning. The myth that we find in our culture, because man looks at the external and God looks at the heart. When we approach this from the perspective of man, here's the myth. What you do determines who you are. That's the myth. This is the perspective we take. Do you see it in the life of David? Seven sons line up. Is David there? No, that's the myth. Because he's just a shepherd. What you do determines who you are. He's not a king. He doesn't even make the line up. 
And yet that's not how God wants us to live. The questions from this perspective of what you do determines who you are. And God proves this brilliantly in this moment when he looks at David, he looks at Samuel, and when Samuel's standing in front of David, when they finally gather there, what's he say? He looks upon him and and the Lord spoke to Samuel and says, arise, anoint him, this is he. Well, what had David done up to this point? (laughs) Nothing that we know of. I mean, he was a shepherd and we'll hear some other things throughout history and about what he's done. But right now, he's new on the scene. David's kind of new in our lives. First Samuel chapter 16, we don't know. What had David done? Nothing. God didn't choose David because of what he had done. He chose David because of who David is. We want to take the perspective. We want to embrace the myth that what you do determines who you are. And we want to take that myth and live out of it because it's all about what a person does and focus on that external. God tells us, no, open your eyes for God takes a different perspective. He sees the heart. And David is selected to be the next future king of Israel. I think that's so powerful. And friends, I want to say this to you. What you do can influence who you become, but... It does not determine who you are. What you do can influence who you become, but it does not determine who you are. That's the counter to the myth. I want to say it one more time because it's really, really important. And if it's just in your head, I want this to sink in your heart. What you can do, what you do can influence who you become, but it does not determine who you are. And this is true for both the positive and the negative things in this life. I want you to think of the positive for the moment, okay? One of the hardest things about believing what we do determines who we are. One of the hardest things about that is that every choice can start to feel a little overwhelming, can't it? Have you ever found this? When you're so preoccupied with what you're supposed to do, every choice starts to feel a little overwhelming. What if I choose the wrong thing? What if, I, what if uh, there's all these paths in front of me and what if I choose the path that takes me down a road and I end up missing who I was supposed to become? What if I waste time? What if I waste my life? What if I don't know? What if I make a choice out of what I don't know and it ends up ruining my life? How am I supposed to know that this is it? How am I supposed to know that that's it? What am I supposed to do? When we live our lives from the perspective that what we do determines who we are, it can often lead to something called choice paralysis. Amidst all the choices that are in front of me, amidst all the opportunities that God has set before me, right? Because like, what could, you can go a lot of places in your life. You can do a lot of different things. What if I make the wrong choice and in doing so, I become the wrong person? If you're a person who's in the midst of living these questions and you're asking, who am I and who will I become? When you face that thought, what if I make the wrong choice and I become the wrong person? You know what it's so easy to do? Go. I'm not going to choose anything. I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to avoid a choice altogether. I'm just going to hang out. Because <laughs> how do you know? How does anybody know? I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess my life up. You know, David could have done the same things. So I want you to think about amidst all the possible choices that David had. David had so many things. Think of this. The Bible tells us that David was a shepherd. The Bible tells us that David was a warrior, a hero. He was the one who slew the giant Goliath, right? That was a really big deal. The Bible tells us that David becomes an armor bearer. He's an armor bearer for the king, that he was a harp player who sued the king. That was his job when he was angry. When the king was angry, he was a soldier. He was a military commander. And ultimately, David was a king himself. That is a lot of opportunities. That is a lot of career choices, so to speak. That is a lot of things that David chose to do with his life. 
And I want you to think about this. What if David had stood back and debated with himself all of those things? What if David had felt the weight of all the expectations? What if David had felt choice paralysis as he kind of stood there facing, living these questions? Who am I and who will I become? Well, everyone expects me to be the king, but can I do it? I mean, let's really be really honest. I didn't even make the lineup as a kid. Like Samuel just asked me to come to do this and nobody really thinks I can anyway, right? You know, I guess there's other options. Though. Maybe I could be a king, but who knows how that's going to work out. I, I, I really like music though and I could continue playing the harp. I continue playing instruments and maybe that's my thing. Maybe that's what I should do with my life. But I also love being this like hero and military person. After all, I love the song the ladies sing about me for slaying Goliath. Like that's a pretty big deal. Maybe I should ride that train a little bit longer. Or you know what? Maybe it's being a military commander. Maybe I'm supposed to be more strategic in this. Or maybe I just should stay in the quiet and live the life of a shepherd and just kind of stick with my family because I don't know. Maybe I should satisfy the expectations of others and I need to try so hard to live up to them. Maybe I should rebel against the expectations of others and just do whatever it is that I want and just say no because you put that expectation on me. I refuse. Maybe I should be king. Can I be king? What do I choose? Who am I? And who will I become? What if I make the wrong choice? What if I fail? What if I let everyone down? What if I let myself down? And I think with all that pressure, it's easier to avoid doing anything altogether. But that's not what we see in the life of David, is it? Man, if David's one thing, it's a guy who keeps on moving. <laughs> it's a guy who keeps making choices. It's a guy who keeps letting the Lord direct his path in all kinds of crazy ways. And I love this about him because when we make this other choice, when we begin to live out of the perspective that what you do determines who you are, it comes to mean, the, the implications of that are that we're not allowed to fail. When you come to embrace this perspective that what you do determines who you are, you're not allowed to fail because in that line of thinking, when you fail, you become a failure. Have you ever felt that way in your own life? That if you fail at what you're, do, at what you're trying to do, that you don't just fail at those things, but you become a failure? You see why it's so easy just not to make the choice altogether, why so many people hold that back, why it's such a daunting thing that we put, that you know, each of us in this life have to face? And yet that's not how God wants us to live, is it? Because a person who's not allowed to fail is also a person who doesn't accept grace. And grace is the most powerful thing ever, is it not? Grace is the very thing that unites us in relationship with God. Grace is the fuel that our relationship with God kind of lives and run by. Grace isn't just what saves us when we become a Christian. Grace is what empowers our very lives. It's what unites us with God. It is what allows us to lift our heads off the pillow each day and face this world because we do not have to carry the weight of our past failures nor the pressure of our potential ones. For there is grace in Christ. It's exactly our weaknesses and the failures in our past that open us up to the experience of grace in the first place. It's what it is to relate with God. It's one of the most beautiful things on the planet. Grace is essential when we go to walk through this process of living the questions, who am I and who will I be? Because we're all going to fail sometimes. I'd love to ask, how many of you have never failed in this room? I'd love to see a hand go up because I'd be like, really? Let's have a talk. We've all failed. We all know this, right? Like we've, we've all messed up at some point in time and it's grace that fuels us to keep going. It's grace that allows us to keep moving forward. David failed. 
The Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. David is elected to be king of Israel. He's anointed, sorry, to be king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And yet David failed massively if you, if you look throughout his life. He did. We all know the story of David and Bathsheba. If you don't, David looked upon another man's wife, so desired her that he committed adultery with her, then was so desiring of her continually that he actually set up her husband to die in a battle, put him on the front line so he could pretty much guarantee that this man would die so that he could marry the widow. I don't know if anybody in here is going, well, that's a good moment. No, that's not a good moment for anyone in that story. And yet David did that. David was a musician in the house of the king, and yet the king occasionally got so frustrated with David that he would throw spears at his head. That's not exactly soothing the king. Not every moment that David embarked upon worked out. David's own son rebels against him at one point in time, seeks to overthrow him. David knew what it was to fail too, and yet David lived, was fueled by this powerful same kind of grace. Just because David failed, it doesn't mean that David was a failure. I remember a moment in my own life, uh, and there's some just brutal honesty, I guess, in sharing this story with you all this morning, but it was the very first time that I'd ever consumed alcohol. I was a young person. I went to a 4th of July party with some friends, and somebody looked at me and said, hey, this is tequila. Try it. And I said, okay. And I tried it, and I thought, that tastes like gasoline and fire. Like, had a baby, and it is just, ah, who, like, gross. And then someone's like, if you don't like that, try this. And so I did. And someone said, if you don't like that, we'll try this. And I did. And then the next thing I know, I was like, oh, my goodness, I am drunk. It was an accident. I made those choices. I got to that spot. And I was at the middle of this, I was at a party late at night, and I found myself sitting on a couch feeling kind of, like, nauseous and the world spinning around me. And I was thinking this thought, where does the fire go? You know, like, that's... Where, what happens? And then I got my answer. I realized you taste it twice because I immediately ran to a bathroom and I started throwing up everywhere. It was horrible. It's one of those nights where you're like, man, I really wish that had never happened, you know? Well, it's in the midst of that. It was early in the hours of the morning and I'm still at this house just feeling terrible and awful and, and regretful about this whole thing that I realized I had set up a meeting with my pastor the next morning. So I get my stuff together and I go to this meeting with my pastor and I feel awful. I look awful. Like, and I sit down with him at a table and if it's any indication of where I was at at that point in time, he looks at me and he says, hey, are you okay? And I said, no, I feel terrible right now. And I explained to him what had happened the night before and choices I'd made and what, how I'd felt and the experience I'd had. And I said, I'm so sorry. I just felt like I like, needed to say that to him. I'm so sorry. And he said, based on the way you look and where you feel, I can tell you are right now. Like, yeah, totally. And I sat there in that moment and I waited for him to say these words. Is this who you've become? Is this who you are now? Is this what your life is? But he didn't. You know what he looked at me and he said? This is the very first thing he said after he kind of identified with the fact that I wasn't feeling very well. He said, what will you do differently next time? That was a really powerful question, friends, to hear as a young man. What will you do differently next time? Because what I was waiting is to hear that because of what I had done, this is now who I was, to feel the judgment, the weight of it. I was judging myself and all this other stuff. What will you do differently next time? That question opened me up to realize that despite the fact that I had failed at something, I had not become a failure. That despite the fact that I had made a mistake, I was not a mistake. That's the power of rejecting the myth 
That's the power of rejecting the myth that what you do determines who you are. We make mistakes. We don't become them. We sometimes fail, but it does not mean that we are a failure. Why? Well, that brings us to the truth of this morning. And the truth is this. Before you ever did, you were and still are. Before you ever did a thing, you were and you still are you. You go, what does that even mean? Well, let's look at this. I want to turn to Psalm 139. This is a psalm written by David. This is a psalm written by somebody who knows what it is to journey those questions, who knows what it is to have failures and to make mistakes, who knows what it is to be in need of grace. This is a psalm written by him. We're going to read starting at verse 13 because he knows something powerful and I think it empowers his life. Verse 13, David, speaking of God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He's able to say that. He's literally saying, because you made it. Because you created my soul. You breathe life into it. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Before you ever did, you were and still are. Why? Because God shaped you and made you intricately, creatively, beautifully knit together in your mother's womb. This passage precedes every action that David ever made, doesn't it? This passage precedes what he's talking about here, precedes every decision he ever made, everything he ever did with his life. He's simply saying, God, this is what you made me to be. This is how you made me. Do you realize each and every one of you that not a single one of you was made in a humanity factory via assembly line? But that each of you intricately and intentionally was formed by the God of the universe to be the person that you are. The myth says that what you do determines who you are. The truth is before you ever do a thing, before you ever did a thing, you were and still are you. You What does that mean? Well, I think of a story that I have in my own life to help kind of illustrate this. David gets this for sure, uh, and I think of the same thing for me. I, I had an, an illustration with this where my daughter walks up to me. She was at an event here in town. We all went to this, this event, and there was face painting there, and somebody painted her to look like a cat, her face. And at one point in time, I walk up, because I didn't know they were at the face painting booth. I was over buying food, because that's usually where I'm at. And I'm buying food, and I walk over, and, and my daughter runs up to me, looking like a cat, and she says, Hi. And I go, I'm sorry. You know, I'm playing around with her. Do I know you? Have we met before? And she goes, Daddy, it's me, Harmony. And I said, oh. You know, so playing around with her. I was like, I thought I was just talking to a really large talking cat. It's so good to see you, Harmony. And she looks at me real weird and goes, you're weird. And then just runs away. And I thought nothing of it. Later that night, I go to tuck her in. And she's laying in bed, and my daughter often gets reflective and asks a thousand questions at night. And so I'm sitting on her bed, and she looks at me, and she goes, Dad, earlier today when my face was painted, did you not know who I was? Like, did you you not recognize me? And I looked at her, and I said, no, I was just playing around with you, Harmony. I was like, 
you could paint your face as much as you wanted, I would still know exactly who you are when you come walking up to me. I was like, I saw you. She's like, but did you though? And I said, Harmony, it doesn't matter how much paint is on your face. I still know who you are. See, because I want my daughter to know this truth that before she ever does anything that she was and still is. I want my daughter to know this because there's gonna come a day where she's gonna have to live these questions too. She's gonna be asking herself the question, who am I and who will I become? And she's gonna have all these choices in front of her. And as she faces these opportunities, as she goes to figuratively paint her life, whether she chooses to paint it as a, a teacher, as a doctor, as a mother, as a wife, as whatever it is that she chooses to end up doing, I want her to know that regardless of how much paint she uses, how many mistakes she makes in the painting along the way, that no matter what, when God looks at her and that when I look at her, that she is and will always be harmony. And it's the same truth that I hope for you. This is so important as we seek to journey these questions because when we live in a world that is often telling us what you do determines who you are. And as parents, we tell our kids this because we want our kids to be successful and well off and all these other things. And so we're like, so get a job. So go to college. So go do, go do, go. You know, and, and I get that. I'm the same way. Like I find myself in the same thing. And yet the truth of the matter is it is more about who they are becoming than the things that they are doing. And that's what all of us as parents really truly hope for, is it not? that ultimately the young people in our lives and even ourselves, that we would become a person that is living out of who God made us to be and regardless of what that comes to look like in our life. Because the truth is, it's not about what you do that makes you into who you are, but that before we ever do a thing, God had a perfect idea of who you were. And you don't lose it along the way no matter how much paint you get on your face. It's powerfully true. If you find yourself in a place where you're going, but I don't know what to choose and I don't know what to do, not sure what paint color do I use. What matters is not the paint color you choose, but the person you paint it on, who you are. You're not becoming something different. You're continuing to grow into the person that God made you to be. And so we rest in that and we trust in that. And this is what I know David knew. I, this is what this Psalm tells us David, you're a king. David, you're a shepherd. David, you're all, no. God knit me together intricately in my mother's womb. He formed my very frame. He knows me. I was something before I was anything, and that's who I will live out of. I think that's why David is, a, the Bible's able to point at David and say, and he was a man after God's own heart because he lives out of the person God had shaped him into being. God doesn't pretend to be someone he's not. Moses goes into Egypt. Who should I tell the Pharaoh sent me? Tell them, I am sent you. Not the God who does, not the God who accomplished, not the God who, tell them, I am. It's powerful. So what does it mean for we who are made in his image? What do we do? I'm gonna close our morning with this. What do we do? If you find yourself in the place where you're in the midst of journeying those questions, or if you have someone in your life that is in the midst of journeying the questions, who am I and who am I becoming? Here's one thing that anyone can do right where they're at, and it's this. Bring what you know of who you are to whatever it is you choose to do. It's not about choosing the ultimate thing to do that determines who you are. No, no, no. Whatever life presents in front of you, bring what you know right now about who you are to whatever it is you choose to do.
and live powerfully out of that. I want you to think about David for a second. David was the person who slew Goliath, right? There's this really powerful moment when David goes, goes to sl- like fight Goliath because David's not a grown man. He's a boy at the time and nobody even thought, again, nobody brought him to that lineup either. And yet David says, I will face him when none of Israel will face him. And so, okay, this boy is gonna go face this giant and he goes before the king, he goes before Saul and Saul looks at him and probably looked at all the armor and all the weapons and everything that Goliath would have had, this giant that stands before him. And Saul's like, you're gonna need more than just this more than just you. And so he puts his armor on him, right? And he takes the king's armor and he begins to dress him. And what does David say to Saul? He says, I have not tested this. Another way of looking at that is, this isn't me. I don't know what it's like to have this fit me. I don't know how to use this. This isn't who I am. David goes out into battle. He goes out and he faces the most fearsome person in the land with a sling that was his, that he'd learned to use as a shepherd as he'd grown throughout life. And with the confidence of who God had made him to be for the most powerful being on the planet had crafted him and was with him. And he overcomes. If you don't know what to do, take what you know of who you are and bring it to the things you're currently doing or whatever it is you choose to do. That's how we grow. And what you will find is that year after year, because of the grace of God and his beauty and his purpose and his plan, and because he's not absent-minded or accidental, that he continues to open your eyes to more and more of who he made you to be so that you can live more and more powerfully out of who you really are. As you seek to journey those questions, friends, don't buy into the myth but accept the truth that before you ever do a thing, you were and still are. And in what you currently know about who you are, may you live powerfully out of that in whatever it is you're currently doing. Let's pray. God, we come before you and lift up uh, everyone in this room who might be asking that question, who am I and who will I become? Because it's daunting. And it can feel overwhelming. And so I pray encouragement in it. But most of all, Lord, I pray that we know the power that you are with us. I pray that we know that we don't journey those questions alone and that you care how we answer them and you answer them with us. So God, open our eyes to what you have done in our hearts and how you have shaped and molded us thus far, that we might live powerfully out of it. Help us to push aside the lie that who, what we do is ultimately what determines who we are. And may you grow and foster our hearts so that we can bring the beauty of who you created us to be into whatever it is that's before us. Help us to encourage people as a church in the same way and to walk alongside them. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two things, uh, and the first one is this, uh, but it's really nice to know what's coming next week. And so because of this series and if, because there might be somebody in your life that you might want to invite, I want to play a quick like one minute, two minute clip here uh, of what we're going to discuss next week from a person's story that's going to talk next week. Uh, and then I'm going to tell you one more thing before you leave. My name is Cody. I'm 33 years old. I'm the wife to a wonderful husband and I have four beautiful children. There is a sense in there when you're staying home with kids that you're kind of like questioning, like, does this matter? Does anybody see me? 
was just waking up, taking care of everybody's needs, doing things that you don't know if you're appreciated, you don't know if anybody would even notice if it was someone else or you weren't there. Like, does it matter at all? Does anybody see me? Am I loved by anybody? So that's next week. And Glenn's gonna process through that. And so if that's you or if you have someone in your life, I encourage you to invite them. Uh, I encourage you to bring them with you. And uh, I'm deep in prayer for this series because a lot of us are currently trying to live these questions. And last thing is this, if you're new with us today, we have what's called the 10 minute party right after the service. Uh, I will be back there, you're invited. I'd love to shake your hand and just say thank you for coming. It's a pleasure to meet you. So uh, that's what you're invited to all of us. Have a great week and we'll see you later. <laughs>